good and gracious God, as we gather and as we greet and as we see the fullness of who we are as the body of Christ, Lord, now prepare our hearts to receive from you your word. Lord, that our hearts would be open, our ears would be open to hear what it is that you have to speak to us this morning. Lord, that we would be prepared to just know you deeper. Lord, that our eyes would be open to see you. And Lord, ultimately, that we would be encouraged as a church to fight the good fight and to fan the flame of faith to endure and endure and endure. And so, Lord, may you be made much of and may I be made little of this morning in your presence. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have been with us, then you know that we have been working our way through the book of Revelation. And we each week are going to take a little bit more of Revelation and keep going forward to learn more and more about what this good book has to teach us and to say to us. Especially because in the first week when we covered in chapter 1 is that this is the only book of the Bible where it says, blessed is the one who actually reads and hears the contents of this prophecy. And not only is it a prophetic work, an apocalyptic work, but it's also epistolary in its nature. It is a letter written to specific people, to specific churches, and to the church broadly that we would all be encouraged by what is in its contents. And so this morning we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2 starting in verse 18. And so if you want to go ahead and open your Bible there uh, or the Pew Bible or your phone app, whatever it is that you read scripture from. But we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2 and we're going to read 18 through 29. Now interestingly enough, this is the longest letter that we have to any of the churches. And so let's keep that in mind as we read it this morning, as we learn about the church that we has been being written to. Starting in verse 18 in chapter 2. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, This is what the Son of God the one who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze says, I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance and that your last deeds are greater than at first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my slaves so that they commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent. She does not wish to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts and I'll give to each one of you according to your deeds. 
But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not have this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. And he who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my father, and I will give him the morning star. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. Well, this morning, we will first take a look at this city that is being written to. He is writing to Thyatira, the church in Thyatira. Now, interestingly enough, Thyatira is the least of all the cities that are written to in this book. And so what I mean by the least of, it's the smallest, the most obscure, the most off the beaten path. It's a small military outpost about 40 miles from Pergamum, which we learned is the capital of Asia Minor. And so doesn't that sound a little familiar? A small town about 40 or so miles from the capital of the state in which they are, they belong to. And it's kind of off the beaten path. Like you can't actually access it from the main highway. You got to go down the highway and then come over a little bit. It's a small town, right? And they've got a small church. And yet, even the small church was important enough for Jesus to write to. Even the littlest church was important enough for Jesus to talk to. Jesus didn't abandon even the littlest of them. He didn't care if it was a church of 10,000, a church of 1,000, a church of 100, or a church of 10. Every church for Jesus is his church. It belongs to him And so it doesn't matter how many there are that attend that church. It's important. And so Jesus thought it was important to write to the church in Thyatira because there was something that needed to be corrected that was among them. But before we get to the correction, I want to first focus on this image of Jesus we get. Again, in each of these letters, we get one of the images of Jesus that came from chapter 1. We get to see a little bit more about how this is breaking down and why it is so important to notice Jesus in light of maybe the letter in the context in which he is writing. And so first and foremost, We need to understand what Thyatira is. It's this little city, least of, military outpost. And it's also really known for its bronze works. There's a a lot of good bronze that comes out of there. Obviously, do a lot of work for the military uh, because the military outpost. But it's also a town of Apollo worship. And Apollo is the son of Zeus. And so everybody there is worshiping this God, Apollo, and then we get into this image of Jesus. And the first thing we learn, that this is what the Son of God has to say. The Son of God. So Jesus wants to put himself in contrast in Thyatira, where everybody worships as Apollo, the son of Zeus. Jesus wants to make clear, but I come from Yahweh. 
I am the son of God. I am more than Apollo. I am more than the son of Zeus. I am the son of the Most High. I come with greater authority than whatever God you could be worshiping in your little town. And, and I think that the reality is that oftentimes in our lives, we put up these little idols. We have these little gods in our life that we set up. And Jesus is trying to remind us again, look, I know that you have these little things in your life that you might worship. And I love how Timothy Keller says it. He says, Idol, idolatry is when we take a good thing and we make it an ultimate thing. And how many things in our life do we take something that is meant to be good and then we set it up on a pedestal and we make it the ultimate thing in our life, in which case Jesus gets knocked down off of that pedestal and now he's no longer the ultimate thing when he should really be the only thing. And so here Jesus is. He's like, Thyatira, I know that you are a city full of people who worship the son of Zeus, but here I come as the son of God. I actually remember when this moment in, in the Gospels in Matthew where Son of God is an important nomenclature for who Jesus is. And it's in uh, Matthew chapter 4, and it's the temptation of Jesus. And he goes out into the wilderness. And he goes out into the wilderness to fast for 40 days. And it says that the enemy, the devil, came to tempt him. And this is what the tempter said. He said he came and said to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. And then a little bit later, the devil again says, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from this place, for it is written that he will command his angels concerning you. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And then again the enemy comes and says to him, all these things I will give to you, showing him all these kingdoms in the world and their glory, if you fall down and worship me. If you fall down and worship me. Don't you know that one of the ways that the enemy wants to get you to put a good thing as an ultimate thing so that you fall into idolatry and into idol worship of the things in your life is by making you question the identity of who God said he was in the person of Jesus. He wants to diminish Jesus in your life to make you think that Jesus isn't the most important thing that you could pursue with who you are. What's more is he wants to question not just the identity of Jesus as the Son of God, he wants to question the identity that you have in Jesus as the Son of God. In a world where we want to tell everyone they can identify as whatever they want, the real identity that we have to hold on to is an identity that is found solely in the personhood of Jesus. Jesus, who is the Son of God. And in Thyatira, it was no different. They were full with all these things that they could worship. And Jesus is saying, I want you to notice there's one ultimate thing. It's me. So much so that it goes on to say that I am the one who has eyes like flame of fire. And his feet are like burnished 
bronze. You know, they would read that, and they, most of them were probably a Gentile background, but they've probably started hearing the Old Testament at this point because that was really the only scriptures that existed yet, right? I mean, we haven't started p- compiling the New Testament for all of us to have every day when we open our Bible, and so what they're teaching them is the Old Testament. Well, hear these words from Daniel chapter 10, and I think you'll see some resemblance Then this one with the appearance, this one meaning this person that appeared to Daniel, with the appearance of a man touched me again and strengthened me. Oh wait, I went way too far. Daniel 10, 4, not 14. And on the 24th day of the first month, while I was by the bank of the great river that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen, whose loins were girded with a belt of pure fine gold of Euphaz. His body was like beryl, and his face had the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches, his arms and feet like the gleam of burnished bronze. And the sound of his words were like the sound of a multitude. And now I, Daniel, alone saw the vision that appeared, but the men who were with me did not see the vision that appeared. Nevertheless, a great terror fell on them, and they ran away to hide themselves. So I alone remained and saw this great vision that appeared, yet no might remained in me, for my outward splendor turned to deathly pallor, and I retained no strength. That's Daniel. That is in the, the book of Daniel in a vision that he is having of the Son of man, the son of God, witnessing him in all of his splendor, all of his majesty, all of his might and strength. And what we have to remember, Thyatira is a military town. And what is this image that we get of the son of God? One who is girded, who is, his feet are like burnished bronze. He's got like this, this armor, this military garb on, and he has these fierce, piercing eyes. Eyes like flames of fire that, that pierce through and judge with purity. There is nothing in Jesus that does not pierce with purity, with his holiness. When he sees, he sees rightly. He sees perfectly. His eyes are fierce with flame. Have you ever thought of Jesus like that? I know for me, the, the, the image of Jesus that I always first go to is the one of my crucified Savior hanging on a cross, who's beaten and bloodied, wearing a crown of thorns and being mocked and made fun of. That's the first image that I have of Jesus. And let me tell you, when you think of that image, you think weak, broken, For purpose, assuredly. But at the end, nonetheless. And here, this is not a broken Christ. This is a Jesus with all his power displayed that for Daniel, when he saw it, all his strength left him. All the color in his face, he turned to pale white. Because it was such an astonishing sight to see 
Jesus as powerful. It's easy to say that a military town displays its might. It's a different thing to say, I see a God who is more powerful than the most powerful army that ever graced this planet. A Jesus stronger than Rome. He has flame of fire in his eyes, and his feet are like burnished bronze. And remember, Thyatria was also this city where they were bronze workers, and he's like, my bronze is better than yours. I'm the better son of God. I'm the better ruler and leader. I'm the better at judging the world, and I am the best at bronze making. Come at me, bro. He did it. That's this Jesus. And he says, I know your deeds, and I know your love, and your faith, and your service, and your perseverance, and that your deeds now are greater than they were at first. This is a church that was growing in grace. They were a church growing in faith. They were a church growing in service. They didn't grow stagnant. They didn't get comfortable with where they were at. They were always like, what's the next thing that we should be pursuing? How can we be serving our community? How can we be serving our city? How can we go the extra mile when that Roman soldier asked me to go one? How do I go two? No, better yet, how do I go three and then four and then five? It says that the works that they had now were greater than those at first, which means the first time that they became Christian, they were in and they were doing it. They went one mile, but now they're going ten. That's a great and growing church. That should be the image of us as churches. We should be growing in faith. We should be growing in service. We should be going out and doing great things in the kingdom of God. But he has this against them, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel. Now, I don't know about y'all. Uh, I have grown up, grown up, I don't know. I didn't grow up in the church, but alas, here I am. Uh, be since becoming a Christian, I've heard the name Jezebel a lot. Um, and, you know, you just hear it, and you just hear, like, that person's a Jezebel, and you're like, oh, I need to stay away from them, right? Like, that's not good. But I want to give us some context. If you don't know who Jezebel is, we're going to turn all the way into the Old Testament, all the way to 1 Kings, chapter 16, verse 31. And here's the first time that we hear about Jezebel. And it says this, And now it happened, as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, that he took Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, as a wife, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. Now, this is the king of Israel, Ahab. And what does he do? As if it is, I love the text, as if it is no minor thing, as if, as if it is just a stroll through the park. It's not a big deal. He walked in the sins of his father, and he decided to marry into a family that he wasn't supposed to. And instead of worshiping God, he worships Baal. In fact, we actually learn a little bit further in chapter 21, verse 25, why it is that he started worshiping Baal this way. And it says, Surely there was no one who sold himself to what is evil 
in the sight of Yahweh like Ahab, whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. It was Jezebel that incited Ahab to go in all these ways to worship Baal, to have idols, to to pursue all these bad things. So when you read Jezebel in Scripture, you should know that it goes back to 1 Kings, to this, this, this woman, this wife of Ahab that incited him to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So having that context, let's go back to Revelation chapter 2 and read that one more time. But I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and deceives my slaves so that they commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Let me translate. You tolerate a leader among you who has self-proclaimed that they are a leader, and they teach you false teachings. They teach you the things that are not my ways. They tell you to do things that are not what I have permitted you to do. They have asked you to follow and fall down and worship things that I've never asked you to worship. So last week, we were talking about something similar, about people in the church that had the teachings of Balaam, right, and were following the Nicolaitans. Well, what you need to understand is that the difference in these is that in that church, they were following the world. In Thyatria, they have one among them who is their leader, teaching them these things. And so if anything, get this, this letter is a warning against false prophets and teachers that infect the church and cause the cancer of sin and idolatry to grow and fester within her. And so, that's a warning also to me as a pastor to be careful with the handling of the word of God and as a teacher to say, I don't want to lead any one of you astray into false teaching, into following some false idol or false way. The problem in Thyatria and the problem in churches across the globe is that there are leaders that have been set up in these churches and they are leading the church astray through false witness of the church. And they're leading through false witness by telling them, you can pursue whatever way you want, and it's okay. If you want to follow Jesus, great. But if you don't, okay. God still loves you. Love is love. God is a God of love. We we don't care about his justice anymore, or his mercy, or his grace. We throw all that out just to recognize that God is love. And so you can follow whatever you want. That's what these false teachers that have infected the church want you to believe. What's more, and we'll read a little bit further down, what's more, though, is that there's this other part of the church, this thing called the prosperity gospel, where these teachers will teach the more that you give, as if giving earns you blessing from God, the more he will bless you. 
The more you give, the more rich you will become. Tithe, you know, a thousand dollars here, a million dollars here. I mean, if you want to tithe a million dollars, far be it from me. But it's not a requirement in the kingdom of God to be blessed. Tithing is a part of the kingdom. But it's not a requirement for blessing from God. And that's the distinction that we need to make. That's the reality that we have to put forth before us because there are pastors in this, and I use that word lightly, there are leaders in the church in this world that will lead you astray by teaching you false things as if there is a lot that you have to do in order to earn blessings from God. And that's what's happening here in Thyatria. Jezebel is deceiving the people. Jezebel is probably not their name. That's just the name that Jesus is giving them. But this is probably a person in the church. But here's what I love about this. He's calling them out. But then in verse 21... And I, have ga- I, and I gave her time to repent. I gave her time to repent. And she does not wish to repent of her sexual immorality. In first, first Peter, uh, second Peter, I'm sorry. Second Peter chapter three, verse nine. I love this. Peter writes, the Lord is not slow about his promise, which means he's really quick to fulfill his promises. He is a God quick to fulfill his promises. As some consider slowness, but he is patient toward you. Not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. God is patient. He is a patient father. He will try over and over and over again to lead us toward repentance. I I mean, I've preached this a lot in here, Romans chapter 1. His kindness leads us to repentance. He longs for us to be of repentant heart. He longs for for us to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we might turn aside from the things that we were pursuing and say, I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to go after you. And here, notice that this is a leader in the church. And Jesus is giving the leader the chance and the opportunity to repent and turn aside and come back to him. And it says that they refuse. They do not wish to repent. That's scary. That's scary as a a leader. I don't want to fall ever into that place where I refuse to repent when I'm called out. None of us should be afraid to repent if we're called out. If one of our loving brothers and sisters is willing to come in courage and to say, hey, I see this in you, and I'm a, I'm a little concerned, like, would you just pray about it? Would you pray, like, Would you listen to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and see if this is a thing that maybe you should repent of? And and Jesus is going to be patient with you. He's going to give you the time and the space to come to repentance. But, But if you refuse and you don't wish to repent of your sin, then behold, verse 22, I will throw her on a bed of sickness. This is Everyone believes scholarly that this, is, this should really be translated to death. 
I'm, put, I'm putting Jezebel on her deathbed. And those who have committed adultery with her into great tribulation. What I love about this, what I love about this, Jezebel is being thrown into death. But those that have followed her and committed adultery with her, love the metaphor, they're just going to, they're going to struggle. Because what's next? Unless they repent of her deeds. Now he's extending repentance to them. Don't you see how much Jesus cares about his church that he wants to lead them to repentance? He's giving leaders opportunity to repent. He's giving followers opportunity to repent. He wants us to live a life led by repentance. And here's the thing that I want us to understand about that. It's not because he's trying to judge us. He's trying to condemn us. It's because he knows that if we live a life following that way, it's going to hurt us in the long run. But if we follow in the way of Christ, in the way of repentance, then it's really, really good. It's a better life to follow him that way. That's why this letter is being written to Thyatria, why it's being writ- written to the church. But in 23, here's what he says about those that do not repent. He's calling them children, her children. He says, I will kill her children with pestilence, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. We read that Psalm 139 at the beginning of our worship today as our call to worship where David, and let's remember, David, not a good guy, right? Can we agree? David had a man murdered so that he could sleep with his wife. Not a pinnacle of perfect leadership. But what did David do when he was called out to repent? He repented. He repented. He said, God, you're right. I've done this thing, and against you and you alone have I sinned. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And so when David says, search and know my heart, he's not saying, search and see if I've ever done wrong. Because guess what? We all fall into that category. But he's saying, What is my heart toward wickedness? Do I want to pursue wickedness or am I doing everything I can to pursue you? And when things are called out in me, am I responding to being called out? The last part that I read in 23 and 24 of Psalm 139 says, search me if there is any hurtful way in me. Because again, living a life toward sin hurts us. It's hurtful to us in the long run. But following him, following Jesus is life. It's life. And so I love the way that he is calling us into this new way of living. In fact, Romans, let me see if I've got it marked here. Romans chapter 8. How do we know that we're doing this, right? Because then he starts talking about, I will, I will, Turn to those, and I will weigh your deeds, right, in Revelation. But in Romans 8, this is what I think he means, because I want us to remind ourselves it's not about what we do. It's not about our work, but it's about the work of Jesus. And this is verse 26. And in the same way, the Spirit who helps our weakness 
For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he searches the hearts, knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. It's according to the will of God. So when he's searching the hearts of men, what he's asking us, he's like, I'm not searching for your deeds and your works. Because I see that you're a church that's, that's growing in your deeds. You're, you're doing better than at first. But what I'm really searching for is, you, are you full of the Holy Spirit? Are you following the will of God in your life? Are you living a life that is love, trust, obey? Right? Are you living a life that is love, trust, obey? Know that God loves you and so you love him. Put your full trust and faithfulness upon him and then be obedient to his every word. Let's wrap it up with this. I want to quickly jump down. But I say this to you, this is verse 24. The rest of you who are in Thyatira, who do not have this teaching, so you haven't followed Jezebel, who have not known the deep things of Satan as they call them, I place no other burden upon you. I place no other burden upon you. You know, every time I hear that word burden, it brings me to one specific passage. And I've said it a million times, and you'll probably hear me say it a million more. But it's Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in part in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. My burden is light. The following the deep things of Satan, as Jesus just called them in his letter to Thyatira, is to be burdened. <laughs> it really is. It's a burden. It's a burden to believe in idols. Because you're constantly going to your idols, expecting them to give you something that they can never give you. Expecting them to fill an infinite void in your heart that will never be filled by any idol that you ever establish in your life. And so you're going to constantly feel this burden of, when am I going to just feel satisfied? When is it just going to feel right? And Jesus is like, you're going to keep being burdened if you keep following in that way. But for those that have not turned to the deep things of Satan but have remained in me, Guess what? I'm not burdening you anymore. Why? Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And all who come to me, I'm taking away everything that weighs you down. All the shame that others have placed on you because of your past, it's gone. All the guilt you feel because you've done something wrong, it's gone. Come to me, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And remember, Thyatira is this, this worker's town. It's a blue-collar town, military. These are heavy laden, burdened people. They got a lot on their shoulders. They got weary hands and hearts in their life. And Jesus is like, be burdened no more. I am the answer you have been looking for. Repent and come to me. Nevertheless, I love this, 25, what you have, hold fast until I come. And he who overcomes, he who keeps my deeds until the end. And what is the deeds again? The deeds is just to believe. 
the work that he's concerned about is your trust in him. That's it. That's the work that he's concerned about. That you haven't established idols above him. And I love 28, and I will give him the morning star. Later on in Revelation, we'll get there eventually, but it confirms to us the morning star is Jesus. He's giving us himself. Praise be to the Father. And so let us be encouraged, church, that we need to put false things away, false teachings away, and we need to be careful about allowing false teachers to come in because the church is going to grow. I have no doubt about what the Lord is doing here with us and among us, and it is a good thing. But as we grow, that's when we can become tolerant of false things because it looks exciting to compromise teaching when growth is happening. But let us never sacrifice teaching for the sake of growth because it can be really easy. Let us turn to Jesus who is the one with eyes like flames of fire and feet of burnished bronze who's all-powerful and who is the Son of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are thankful for you. We're thankful that your burden is light, that your yoke is easy, and that, Lord, that when these things come into our lives, you've given us the eyes to see them as they come. You have prepared us to, to go against them because you've, you've given us the warning. You've showed us through your scripture. And so, Lord, let us take it to heart and let us be encouraged that we here gathered are gathered in your name, that we here gathered know you, that we here gathered have received what you have given, and that it is good, and that it is better than anything else that we could put over and above us. And so lead us and guide us, Jesus, in the way. But Lord, if there is anything within us that we need to repent of, let us do so, Lord. It's in your name we pray.